0: Amen. what's up, y'all? How y'all doing? Good, Good. I want to test the room real quick. Uh, God is good. Oh, I love it. And all the time, God is, good. God is good. Okay, y'all with me. y'all with me today. Good to see your faces. Um, my name's Carlos. Uh, thanks for that intro, Paul uh, Paul. Freudian slip. Cole. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was going to make a joke about the sandals, but I, I won't. I won't go there. Um, so, like Cole said, uh, we are going to continue um, in the book of Romans this week. We're in Romans 15, and um, this is this verse has a special place in my heart, uh, mainly because six, seven. How long ago did we move to Iowa? Seven years. Seven years. About seven years ago, um, I ran into this verse, and, I, and as the Lord, eight years my gosh, eight years, ran into this verse, and it was one of the verses that kind of tipped me over the edge from moving from South Georgia up to Iowa, um, and so like, it's just in God's providence, I get to preach it this morning, so I'm, I'm super excited, um, my name's Carlos, I'm one of the pastors here, specifically I'm the pastor of community, so if you want to get involved in our church, come talk to me, you can talk to Cole as well, um, and we can get you plugged in. All right, I'm chomping at the bit this morning, so I'm just going to get to it. Is that cool? Sweet. All right, as we continue to look at Paul's pastoral biography, we're going to get a glance this morning at Paul's evangelistic strategy. That's what we're looking at. Now, I want to echo Cole, right? What he said last week, that just because you're not a pastor, it doesn't mean that there's nothing in this sermon that isn't for you. Just because you may have no aspirations for pastoral ministry, it doesn't mean that there isn't anything that you can't learn and, or be encouraged from in this text. And, and in fact, when it comes to evangelism, I'd say that we all, pastor or not, we're obligated to engage in this work. We are commanded by scripture and our very own resurrected Lord to engage in evangelism. And so I just want to, I feel like I need to just like intro into our text this morning. So bear with me. Um, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus, after he is resurrected, he says this to his disciples. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So because of that command, right, there should be no one under the sound of my voice who should check out this morning. As we look at the way that Paul felt called to evangelism and the way in which he went about evangelism and as we dissect Paul's strategy and ask good questions on why he did what he did, my hope is that you would find in yourselves building this like holy and heavy burden and passion for those who are far from God in our world and in our city. My prayer is that as I preach, God would begin to convict us of the ways in which we have not loved our world and our city as ourselves and that God would build in us a passion for spreading his good news to every corner of our city and every people in our city and every corner of the world and every people in the world. But before we dive in, I think we should define what I mean when I say evangelism. So let's start off by considering what evangelism is not. You guys ready? All right. Evangelism is not giving people a list of cultural expectations and regulations to live by evangelism is not throwing the sin of people, is not throwing the sin of those people far from God in their face. Although good works have their place, evangelism is not being nice to unbelievers, not feeding the hungry, not giving money to the poor, and other forms of mercy ministry that are necessary. All right, I'm not saying they're not necessary. I'm saying that's not evangelism. That's not the evangelism that Paul is talking about in this text. So what is evangelism? What type of ministry activity is Paul going to model for us this morning? The word evangelism literally means to bring good news. So to evangelize is to open your mouth and tell people of the hope that they have in Christ. It is to tell other people with words of the finished work of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. It is to proclaim the way in which Christ has offered a way for humanity to be reconciled to God. It means to declare with words the way in which Christ came to save sinners. And it means to announce freedom to those enslaved by the kingdom of darkness with the words of emancipation. So as I preach and when I refer to Paul's ministry and evangelism, this is what I'm talking about. We good? Awesome. So let's stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Romans 15 verses 18 through 21. I'm going to be reading from the CSB version. It'll be on the screen. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles. Uh, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Elystrium. That, yeah, I'm gonna I'm go with that. Elysium. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is the word of the Lord. It is true. It is good. You may be seated. All right, so I have three points this morning. My first point is this. Paul's evangelism is defined by humility. I love how Paul defines his ministry in verse 18. He says that he wouldn't dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through him. For Paul, anything that has been accomplished in the work that he has done is clearly a work of Christ and not himself. Man, that's so convicting. It's so convicting to me because pastoral work, (laughs) there's so much blood, sweat, and tears that go into what we do. So much strategizing, so much praying, so much weeping, so much rejoicing. I mean, even as I prepared this sermon this morning, I had to inductively study the passage. And then I had to like, think about like, the cultural implications of the time period uh, that the that letter was written in. And then I had to critically think, okay, how do I bridge the gap between what happened then and what happened here? And then I had to be like, okay, how am I going to deliver this in a way that makes sense for us all? All the while dealing with my own sin, fallenness, and hurt. So much work. But like I said, when I read this text, I'm, I'm so convicted because it reminds me that, yes, Los, there's a lot of work in this. There's a lot of work in his, but it's the good news. It's not you doing It's Christ working through me. Christ is accomplishing this work through me. This very church is a result of that, right? Cole and Andrew and the rest of the core team, they, they, it's, it's not, sorry, getting ahead of myself, my bad. It's not a, simply a result of Cole and Andrew and the rest of the core team's careful planning and strategy. I mean, it is. You did a lot of work, right? But in a much true and better sense, it's not. Christ has built our church. Christ used Cole and Andrew. He guided their decision making. He opened up doors for ministry. Like Paul's ministry, Frontier's ministry should be defined by humility. When we tell the story of what God has done and is doing in our church, as we proclaim the good news, our speech should be centered around the power of Christ working through us. Us, weak and sinful, us, desperate and dependent, us. This is good news, y'all. This is good news because Jesus, his commandment to go into the world and preach the good news, it should haunt us. It should haunt us if it was dependent upon us. I mean, let's think about it. I can't even follow the things that I promised to myself, like eat vegetables and like work out like I should, right? Let alone, let alone follow this command. But praise God that Christ accomplishes what he commands of us through us. That he accomplishes what he commands of us through us. It is Christ who is using us in evangelism and he will use us, but let our efforts echo Paul this great pastor, I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. All right, point number two. As we look at the way that Paul did ministry, we learn that his evangelism was directed by word and deed toward the Gentiles. Verse 18 goes goes on to say that, What God accomplished through Paul was done by word and deed for obedience of the Gentiles. Now, trigger warning, okay? If anyone knows me, they know that I love the Enneagram. Okay? I don't know how you feel about the Enneagram, and that's okay. You can roll your eyes. It's all good. I know that... (laughs) Look at who you looking at. Um. I know that it can be used to like, you know, just perpetuate like unhurtful tendencies that people have, but I, I love it because it's helpful. It's a helpful tool to get to know yourself and, and better and, and and get to know those better uh, in your community. And so let me just let you in on, on who I am. Is that cool? Can we do that? All right. All right, so I'm an Enneagram four. We're very complicated people. We're like the artistic creative types. Um, we have a lot of emotions. We have big emotions. Um, and we also tend to daydream a lot. And this week, as I daydreamed a lot over this text, what I found is that, like, there's so much, like, awesomeness in here. Um, this week, I daydreamed a lot. And what, I, and what it would have been like for Paul to be directed by word and deed toward the Gentiles. I imagine that Paul would have, he would have been, like, in his little tent, Right? making a little pour of coffee in the morning. He would have opened up his Bible, his scroll, actually. He would open up his scroll and begin to bump into passages like Isaiah 51, 4, which says that God's justice will be a light for the nations. And I imagine Paul sitting there like, oh man, that's good, he's circling nations. He's circling the word nations there. Then he bump into Isaiah 49, 6, when it says that God's servant, who Paul knows is Jesus, will be a light for the nations and salvation to the end of the earth. And I imagine Paul going, huh, nations again, salvation to the ends of the earth. And he's like, you know, making connections and he's drawing in, oh, well, I don't know, writing in the margins. I don't know the his, history on this. Whiteboard. Yeah, he got a whiteboard. He he definitely has a whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> or he'd bump into passages like Isaiah 42:10 that commands the end of the earth sing a new song to God and I imagine Paul being like, "Huh. Nations, nations, salvation's end of the earth." I imagine that he would begin to connect the dots and maybe he remembered how his Hebrew Bible ended, which is different than how we organize our Bible today, right? Our end of our Bible ends in uh, Malachi, but the Hebrew Bible it ended in 1st and 2nd Chronicles and it's the last book that summarizes the entire history of of, of Israel's history. And so the way that Second Chronicles chapter 36 ends is there's this Gentile King Cyrus making a decree to build a temple for the Lord where the nations will come and worship. And I remember, and I imagine Paul saying, oh my gosh, God is saving the Gentiles to be, to be grafted into, into the family of God. I imagine that this sort of thing happened over and over and over again to Paul when he began to see that the Gentiles belonged to the family of God, so much so that he just had to freaking do something. Word indeed, The word leading to Paul's deeds. I imagine that these types of encounters with the word of God is what directed Paul toward the Gentiles and made them his main focus in his ministry efforts. Maybe that's how I went down. I don't know. That's just, I'm just daydreaming up here. I can't be certain for sure, but I do know this. This is what I do know, is that Paul was unashamedly planting diverse, multi-ethnic and multicultural churches all around the Middle East. And as he was, he was doing that, because, not because he wanted to follow like some cultural trends or this new hip thing, right? No, Paul's multi-ethnic and multicultural church planning was a response to the word of God that declared that in the person of Jesus, all peoples, languages, and cultures will be united together in worship of God. Paul's evangelism was directed by word and deed toward the Gentiles. Now, okay, what is, how, does this, how does this help us? Because, <laughs> like, not all of us in here are going to be church planners. Not everyone in here, I mean, we're all Gentiles, right? So, but but there is a lesson here. There is a lesson. And the lesson is this, is that we learn that, this is what we learn. We learn that the way that Paul has been directed by word and deed toward the Gentiles is is that, this is what we learn. The word of God moves us to people to proclaim the word of God to people who are different than we are. It moves us out toward people who have different cultures than we do, vote differently than we do, grew up differently than we do, because God desires to be in relationship with all types of people. And all types of people belong to him. The gospel in itself is the message of God, who is different than us in every way possible, moving toward us, bringing healing, restoration, and hope. The plan of the cosmos is that God would take people that aren't his and unify them together and make them his. So Frontier, my prayer and plea is that we would be a people who are so burdened with God's desires expressing his word, that we would move toward people who are different than we are and share with them that God has made a way, that sin has been defeated, that life eternal is available if they would trust in the work of Christ. Paul's evangelism and our evangelism should be directed toward people who are different than we are. Amen? All right. Let's reread our text this morning. Paul says, for I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Elysium. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who are told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. As a result of Paul's ministry, right, being directed by God's word. And as God has accomplished great things through Paul, we learn that this brother has proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem to Elystrium. I can't even say that. Illyricum. Thanks, dude. Alericum. Let's look at it. I have a map on here to show you just how um, that, so that whole space, you see that? That's crazy. That dude didn't have a Toyota Camry, He didn't have, he couldn't hop on a, he couldn't hop on a plane. It's just like, just ships and feet. (laughs) Ships and feet. That's all he had. Um, As a note also, I should say that, that Paul, when he says that he's fully proclaimed the gospel here, what he's not saying is that he has shared the gospel with everyone who lived here. Right? That's, if he did that, that'd be like crazy. Um, It's impossible. But this is what he is saying. He's saying that, He has gone from each region in these parts, um, and he's evangelized the lost. He's established churches, house churches, and he set up elders to lead and serve in those churches. So this is what Paul means. This was his custom, right? And this is what he means when he says that he has fully proclaimed the gospel. That means there's churches there that are able to serve and reach out to the rest of the unbelieving world around them. Um. But why has Paul done this? What, what, what's driven him to do ministry this way? Well, um, I think that Romans 14, I think Romans 14 gives us a little clue. I can't be certain on this. I can't be certain on this. But um, as I've studied and as I've thought about it and I've prayed about this, to me, it looks like what Paul, Paul's not saying that, Every Christian has to do ministry that way. That Every Christian has to move to different places and establish ministries and then bounce to another place to do the same thing. That's not what he's saying. What I think Paul is sharing here is that Paul has developed, we talked a lot about this, a biblical non-essential conviction on the way to do ministry. And he feels called to do that way. And that, and, and that conviction is our final point, which is this. Paul, his evangelism was determined to take the gospel where it hadn't been right? This is Paul's, this is the conviction that he has wrestled with the Lord and, he, and this is the conviction that he's, he's come to. So um, I'm a coffee dude and um, I tend to run in a lot of circles with people who don't follow Jesus. Um, and as I begin to earn their trust and begin to like share with them the hope that I have in Jesus, um, there's one question that always comes up. I mean, I, like, I could bet money that at some point this question is going to come up when I meet someone new. They say, Carlos, <clears throat> I understand that you've come to follow Jesus and that's all good for you. And, uh, but I don't know why Christians feel the need to try and convert me. Why is it so important for them to share what they believe with me? That's a good question, right? That's, that's a really, really good question. If what we believe is simply an agreed upon way of life, That we have chosen, why would we feel obligated to share it? Well, let me correct that line of thinking right now. Christianity is way more than a simple way to live. We have good news, y'all good news of victory. We have the news of life. When we share the gospel, we hold up the lantern of God's liberation. When we share the good news, captives are freed from sin's chains. When we share the gospel, generational curses are broken. When we share the gospel, men and women like ourselves are snatched from the kingdom of darkness and brought into God's marvelous family where there is rest, salvation, eternal life, and unhindered communion with God. And when you see sharing the gospel that way, you realize the reality of what's at stake. When you look at sharing the gospel that way, there's no way you can be satisfied with not carrying that torch to every nook and cranny in our city and our world. When you look at sharing the gospel that way, you can acknowledge your fear, right? It's scary sharing the gospel, let's be real. You can acknowledge your fear yet still move faithfully toward people despite it and open your mouth when they ask you, why do you have that hope? So yes, as Christians, if you're not christian in here, we're going to try to convert you. I'm not even going to, I'm going to show my card right now. And as a pastor, I will shepherd you to tell people in your life about Jesus. But it's not because it's simply a way to live. No, this gospel that we have, this gospel that Paul had, it is the power for salvation and transformation and eternal life. This is why Paul was determined to preach Christ where it hadn't been. It wasn't because Paul was a hipster and he was on his new like fad and that he was just ahead of the trend. It was because Paul knew firsthand that the gospel has transforming power. I mean, look at Paul. Look at Paul. His life is a living testimony. He started off as a church murderer and after experiencing Jesus and the good news of the gospel, he turned into a church planter. And after experiencing that kind of transformation, how do you not share it? I once uh, heard this analogy that, that Christians are like people who have been hit by a semi. <laughs> that because we've experienced the radical love of Christ, like we are different. We have been changed After experiencing that kind of love, why wouldn't you want your coworkers and your neighbors and your baristas and your grocery clerks or countries around the world to experience that love too? Paul was driven. He was determined to take the gospel where it hadn't been because of his experience with the gospel. Now, in our text, this description of Paul's ministry, it may feel kind of intangible. Cause you're like, I don't, I'm not, you know, I I live here. Like everything's here for me. So there's two people I want to talk to this morning. There's two people. The first person, I want you to consider this. There's two things to consider, I should say. First thing I want you to consider is this. Actually everybody, this is for everybody. I want everybody to consider these two things. One, consider going somewhere far off to proclaim Christ where he has not been named or where there's minimal gospel witness. I really want you guys to consider that. There are people within this world who will never have the chance to hear the good news of Christ. And maybe God may be calling someone in here to go and share that with them. There are some in this room whom God may stir a fire in your soul and who will leave to do this work. And I wanna hear you I want you to hear me say that I celebrate that and I want to get behind you. Let's go freaking do this thing. But second, the second thing to consider, you don't have to leave Des Moines, Iowa to proclaim the gospel where it's not. There are neighborhoods, suburbs, factories, parks, coffee shops, where Christ has not been proclaimed, and we have the holy privilege to step into those places and proclaim freedom. Good news. My prayer is that my suggestion, I guess I would say, is to use our response time to consider which one of these two options you want to consider, because those are the only options you have <laughs> as a as a follower of Jesus, you have to. okay? If you're going to be walking obedience, you have to. okay. All right, I feel like I've said a lot today. Um, let me wrap up with this. Paul's evangelistic strategy, which we've laid out, is, is he just copied this from Jesus. Let's just be real. It's, it's just a copycat strategy of the Lord Jesus. And this very ministry strategy is the gospel we proclaim. Jesus, right, in, who, in humility, came in the form of a servant. The son, who was moved by the word of God, took on flesh to become a man and to come to a people unlike himself. Jesus, taking the gospel to lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors, you know, those far places from God, (laughs) where grace of God hadn't been spoken. But right there is the furthest that Paul can go. That's the furthest that Paul could go in his emulation of Jesus' ministry because even earth's greatest missionary has limits. But our Lord Jesus has none. Amen. Amen. Jesus living a sinless life, fully satisfied in God. Jesus laid his life down so that we who put our trust in him can live. Jesus absorbs the full cup of God's just wrath. Jesus dying a sinner's death on our behalf. Jesus rising from the dead and conquered death on our behalf. Jesus freely giving us his righteousness and adopting us into his family. Paul looked to Jesus' life for his ministry. So in one sense, I want us to walk out of here today mindful of the ways in which Paul did ministry and, and the ways in which Paul was a dope pastor and the way that he loved people to the ends of the earth and he laid his life down. In one sense, I want you to walk out of here with that. But if I could keep it 100, I want your eyes transfixed on Jesus Because without his first evangelistic ministry, we all, including Paul, would be without hope. It is Jesus who is the ultimate missionary. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are proof that the gospel does work. It works. It is the power of God for salvation. So, let's go get him. Jesus, I thank you that your word is power. And that your word is life and that your word does not return void. If there's anyone here who has not put their faith in you, Lord, I pray even now, would you save them, Lord? Would you transfer them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son? And Lord, I pray for those of us in here who <sighs> don't know how you want us to, to be used by you. I pray that you would even now, Lord, bring faces and names and places to our minds so that we may participate in, in your redeeming of this world, Lord. Um, and ultimately, Lord, we just thank you for Jesus. We are his ministry. We are his 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 target group. He got us, Lord. And I just pray that you would help us to fall in love with, with this. this uh, this this beautiful man named Jesus in Jesus name amen